Welcome to a new episode of Frontend Happy Hour. We are joined by our special guest, Richard Feldman, to talk with us about the programming language Elm. Richard, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Yeah. Uh, so I'm Richard. Uh, I, what do I do? I write code at No Red Ink. Uh, we make software for English teachers. Um, so I mainly stay on the front end, but uh, I guess I've done a little bit of back end full stacky kind of stuff in my career. Um, and uh, favorite happy hour drink? I'm going to say whiskey. I'm going to be non-specific as to what kind. <laughs> right. Is there a favorite brand in there? Anything? Lafroig Scotch, right. for sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Good choice. Before we get started, let's go around and give introductions of today's panelists. Brian, you want to start it off? Sure. Uh, my name is Brian Holt, and I think after today, everyone will know that I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've already figured that one yeah. out. I'm Stacey London. I'm a front-end engineer at Atlassian. Uh, I'm Augustus Yoon, front-end engineer at Evernote. I also don't know what I'll probably be talking about. <laughs> same. Fair enough. I'm the same, right? And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. Before we start each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we'd like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Compile. Compile. So at any point in the episode, if we say the word compile, we will all take a drink. Does transpile work? But they're a little different. So you might, you could... You can get away with it, but you're probably not saying the right thing, so maybe you should drink at that point. (laughs) (laughs) All right, to get started, I would love to hear everyone's kind of definition for our listeners. Like, what is Elm? Other than being a programming language, what is Elm? We should probably ask Richard that. I think Richard knows better. I'm, I, I have. I can answer that, but I'm actually pretty curious to hear other people's answers first. It's been a long time since I've looked at it. I remember like when Elm was first coming out, it's like this hot new thing. Definitely looked at it. It's a functional programming language. It compiles Cheers. to JavaScript. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> compiles down to optimized JavaScript, which I did say compile again. Uh, yeah. Cheers. Cheers. I think you have like a 30 second grace period. I think that was the rule. There's lots of spaces. Compile. From what I hear. <laughs> I know Redux got some concepts from Elm. Programming. <laughs> And you said you didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> the syntax is a bit weird. Yeah, it's like there's only spaces or, or significant white space. Something about that. Only spaces programming. Like okay, that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all blank. It's actually brain fuck. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. So today. tabs are syntax errors in L. Tab characters. Oh, okay. So, so if we have the argument against tabs and spaces, it's not like an argument here. Spaces. <laughs> win. All right, I'm going to write the Elm transpiler. <laughs> <laughs> have we come close to? Yeah, what yeah. Elm is? I mean, right. I, I think I think uh, folks got the gist of it. Um, so for me, from my perspective, the the, the coolest. Okay, this is going to be an interesting case. The the coolest part of Elm is the compiler. Does that count? Yep. Cheers. Yeah, we'll call it. Uh, cheers. cheers. <laughs> So it's known for a couple of things. Uh, one is uh, like really nice error messages. So I've I've used languages in the past that uh, that you know have compilers. Cheers! Cheers. <laughs> uh, hey. Wow, this is gonna be a fun night. <laughs> Perhaps mistakes were made in choosing. This is fine. it's gonna be fine. We'll all be fine. Um, so yeah, I mean I, I've used like Java, C plus plus, Scala, um, just a whole bunch of, of different ones, and uh, and Elms for me is kind of in a class of its own when it comes to like it, it feels like an assistant. That's like a phrase we use as compiler as assistant. And uh, cheers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely mistakes were made. 
Yeah, it, it, it feels the right. The assistant, right. And it feels like uh, kind of having a conversation with the assistant. Actually, uh, Brian and I were at a conference. I'm wearing the T-shirt by coincidence. Uh, uh, you got to love front end in Tel Aviv. And uh, the talk I gave was basically about just kind of like live coding that experience of just like having a conversation where basically I um, I just hung out in my editor and I made a, a, a feature just by looking at the error messages and be like, oh, I'm going to change this and I'm going to oh, see what it tells me to do next, see what it tells me to do next. And then at the end of it, I hadn't even opened the browser and I got the feature done as soon as I did all compiled. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Uh, I, I opened, <laughs> I opened up the browser and sure enough, everything worked and it was pretty cool. Um, of course that was a talk and I, I knew it was going to work cause I'd practiced it, but, uh, it was based on a real experience I had on a flight where I didn't have an internet connection the entire time. So I actually couldn't open up the browser and every page started with like an Ajax request. So there was really no hope of being able to work, uh, in any other way, but I was able to be productive the whole four hours. So yeah, that's, that's to me kind of what makes Elm stand out, but there's, there's also uh, functional programming aspects to it. Um, it's, it's uh, not object oriented. It's, it's just straight functional top to bottom. Um, it's uh, all mutable. It's, uh, it's got a really nice core library. It's got its own uh, package manager. Um, that's actually kind of, uh, that's a cool part. Yeah. When I've been talking to people and they say like, what do you really like about Elm? Um, uh, that's actually kind of the thing that, that, has turned out to be um, like the, the biggest thing like these days that, that uh, people love about it is the ecosystem. So it's got a totally separate ecosystem from like NPM, basically. Um, there was a, a startup in London that I was talking to. They had like a huge like 100-person Elm meetup there. And, uh, and they said, we didn't switch to Elm because we were unhappy with React or anything. It was that we were unhappy with NPM. And we wanted to like just get on this other sort of uh, – you know, Elm's basically starting from scratch and saying, hey, let's just envision how can we make a really nice experience for building front-end applications and uh, let's just run with it. And um, so it's some cool things about the package manager. It enforces semantic versioning. Um, so uh, how do I say this? The compiler. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cheers. cheers. <laughs> that thing knows uh, about uh, about all of your functions and and uh, all of your dependencies, functions, and all that stuff. And so it can say um, if I if I publish version one of my package, and then I say uh, I'm going to change this function, I'm going to delete an argument, or I'm going to change it, or I'm going to delete the function, um, and I try to publish that as one dot one, it's going to say nope, like that's a breaking change. You have to bump it to two dot Oh wow. Um, so you have like guarantees. Oh, that's awesome. It yeah. is actually, yes. that's powerful. Like when you're just those little things that it's just like, nope, that's going to save you from making a huge mistake in the long run. And what's super cool about it is that because that's enforced across the entire ecosystem, you actually get to say, basically it, it does transitive dependency solving and the entire, um, like everything is flat. So you, you don't just get like my dependencies and its dependencies and its dependencies. It's all just like, I'm going to find versions that work with everything. And it knows that they're all going to, you know, fit together properly because essentially it's, it's sort of guaranteed those ahead of time just by the way that the semantic versioning is actually enforced. Um, so there's, there's a lot of cool stuff like that where it's like, um, you know, JavaScript was famously designed in like 10 days. Um, and it's sort of like, well, you know, we've been sort of bolting things on ever since. It's like, well, okay, now that we know that web applications are a real use case that there's real demand for, um, what can we do with that information as far as designing what the experience feels like? And that's kind of, uh, to me, the, the, like the, the long-term promise of Elm or the exciting stuff about it. 
That's that's really cool. Um, yeah, and I, I'd always heard like the package system and package was like that was the way to go, and I, that actually explains so much. I didn't even realize the versioning, and that's like so powerful. Just that that's really cool. I think the error messaging is what like I saw a presentation at React Rally about Elm and just the the super helpful error messaging. Yeah, um, that was that was. I remember that big one. differentiator. Yes. I was yeah. like, you know, instead of like T is undefined or right, you know, like, right, and, right. No, they're like human readable. Like they're yeah. they're like on point, telling you exactly what's wrong. You you forgot to close this mm-hmm. or whatever it is. It's like that array hasn't been defined. You know, I prefer undefined is not a function. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I'm Assuming in Elm, we don't see those types of messages. Actually, I mean, you're right, but but for a different reason, which is that Elm programs generally don't really crash. We actually, we finally had our first runtime exception after like uh, a long time. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, for a long time, we, 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 we had never actually had a production crash. We have like a quarter million lines of Elm in production now. And so now the score is like, it was, we, we got like, in our hubris, we called a function called debug.crash, which if, if you call it, it crashes. So you only use it if you're like, I am sure this code will never get run. I don't want to bother handling this. use, And, and of course, it got run. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we got what we deserved. But uh, so now if I were to draw a graph, like we, so we use uh, roll bar to track crashes. And so now the score is like, you know, Elm, if I were to graph it, it's like Elm is like one pixel in JavaScript. It's like 60,000 crashes in like the past three years, you know. So uh but Elm's on the scoreboard now, so we, we were very sad about that. Yeah, you need to have the like number of days without a crash, and you know just now yeah. you have to wipe the chalk <laughs> right. and change that. Right. Yeah. The one I've heard a lot of people rave about is the Elm CLI. Uh, I've heard that that's like really easy to get a project spinning up. Oh yeah. Um, I haven't tried it, so I'd love to hear your <laughs> thoughts on it. Well, it's uh, so the the cool thing about it is that basically Elm, um, since it's kind of starting from scratch, everything's sort of batteries included. So um, if you're starting a new JavaScript project, you're like you have all these decisions to make. You're like, okay, so first of all, am I going to use uh, you know just straight JavaScript? Probably not. Probably going to use Babel. Um, okay, on top of that, am I going to use TypeScript or Flow or neither? Okay, more choices to make. And then you're like, okay, well, what do I want to use for my UI framework? Am I going to use React, Angular, Vue, Ember? And like, okay, state management. Am I going to use Redux? Am I going to use uh, uh, MobX, uh, Observables? Um, whereas in Elm, it's like, oh, you just like, there's Elm. And that's like, uh, there's no frameworks really. Like you just like, there's the HTML library that renders, you know, HTML, it's a virtual DOM library. And that's like the only way to do it. Um, state management, there's the Elm architecture. That's the only way to do it. Um, so getting up and running is, is um, it's, it's just almost trivial. I mean, you just, you just sort of are like, okay, I'm going to set up my Elm project, say here are my dependencies and you just, okay, go. <laughs> That's actually really impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even just going through that tree of decisions on like setting up a project, I'm like, yep. Every time you set up a new project, it's like, what what framework am I going to use? What's my build system look like? You know, a couple hours later, you're like, all right, I'm ready to write some code, and and it takes some time. Yeah, you yeah. get a fully formed tree with Elm. Oh, hey, hey. I like it. <laughs> Selling point right there. <laughs> <laughs> I've also heard things about the optimizations for performance, that it is actually writing more optimized JavaScript. That's all I've really heard. Uh, so <laughs> I'd love to kind of hear, like, what what does that actually mean? Are you actually seeing more performance uh, JavaScript written? Is it just because there's less errors, or is it actually better for performance? So there's a lot of really cool optimizations that it can do, some of which it currently does, some of which are sort of designed to be unlockable in the future, if that makes sense. Um, so uh, a, a good example of this is actually um, 
Okay, so so uh, Elm has benchmarked quite well compared to like React and Angular and stuff like that. Um, we haven't re-benchmarked since the AOT stuff came out with Ember, so they may have pulled ahead with that. Not sure, um, but at least like a year or two ago, we used to be <laughs> ahead of them. Um, but that's actually um, uh, it. It really comes down to like like how are we able to benchmark faster? It's actually not that the generated JavaScript is. Uh, maybe faster than what you can handwrite, um, but rather that because of the, the design guarantees of the language, there are certain things that you just don't have to worry about happening. So it's not so much that these optimizations are unavailable in JavaScript, it's that if you did them, you would probably get a bunch of bugs as a result, but you just don't in Elm because the compiler, mm. <laughs> it had been a while, rules them out uh, ahead of time. And so there's just um, so a good example of this. Uh, so it, in uh, like Redux, they'll say don't don't run side effects in your reducers, or in React, they'll say don't run side effects in your render functions. Um, but Elm, it's just by design, it just you don't have side effects. Uh, it has managed effects instead, where you have the sort of explicit representations of here are the points where you know effects can happen. That's cool. Um, and so as a result of that, uh, it's just very safe to say, oh, we just don't have to call this whole part of the render tree. You can just there's this little function called lazy, which says, okay. You know what I was going to do here? Just remember what happened last time. And if I give you the same inputs to those functions, just don't even bother calling it again. Just take the, the cached result from the last run and just use it. Don't even bother recomputing all that. Um, so we have that as sort of a, a, it takes the place of like should component update and react um, because it's just sort of a generally more powerful alternative to that. And the only reason that's possible is because we know there's a 0% chance there's going to be any side effects of those functions. It's, it's already been ruled out. Um, but in JavaScript, it's more like, well, you know, pinky swear that you're not going to do it. But if, if you know, you got one, do it. Well, right. <laughs> but then it's like, you know, you know what happens. Like you get yeah. one new person on the team. They don't know that you're doing that optimization somewhere. They write it in. It works fine locally. And then in production, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's, there's, there's some things that would not be a good idea in JavaScript. But Elm can get away with them because, uh, because of its design. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, I would always wondered, I'm like, how do we, you know, because you are actually having JavaScript shipped at the end of the day. For sure, yeah. And so I was like, how does that actually faster? <laughs> and that actually makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Okay. For um, now, it's JavaScript, but... Uh, that's true. You know, oh, WebAssembly is yeah. looking pretty cool. <laughs> I, I have seen some talks around that. Is, is that actually something that we'll see in the future of Elm? I hope so. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's... Uh, th there's a... It's certainly... It's being designed so that in the future Elm can compile to WebAssembly. That's uh, like there have been definitely you know discussions on issues about hey if we go this direction with this particular design choice that's going to be really hard in a future where we compile to WebAssembly. So let's not do that. Um, but uh, having said that, there's also a concern of like at what point is WebAssembly something that you can actually ship to your end users? Yep. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, like if everybody's on Chrome, Firefox, and Edge, then like okay, maybe that's fine, or, or you know, Safari. Um, but you know, what if you still got a non-trivial amount of IE11 users? Are you just gonna give them the polyfill and then you know <laughs> it's gonna be monstrously slow for them and then fine for everybody else? I Probably like Brian's not. attitude. <laughs> and, and Brian's at Microsoft right. now. And so, actually, I mean, like, yeah. and, I, I hear and, that's the best practice. All right. Sure, yeah. There's <laughs> actually, well, there's a banner across the top that says deal with it. And yeah. sunglasses appear. And Brian's face is right beside it. I, I definitely could see this. Please ship that. Yeah. Get that into IE as a default. What's Windows? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But what were some of the uh, disadvantages or maybe something that wasn't so nice maybe as you started using elm or didn't like even still this day don't like 
Oh, uh, so I mean, I think getting started was was really nice, actually. Um, but as far as stuff that uh, like the main disadvantage is honestly just that the ecosystem is much smaller. I mean, it's really nice, but I mean, JavaScript ecosystem is massive. Um, so I mean, what people end up doing is you have most of like I would say we're like a ninety eight percent Elm shop, but we still do JavaScript interop for that last two percent where it's like there's this library in JavaScript and I'm not going to rewrite it in Elm. So you do a little bit in interop, um, which is, you know, not ideal, but it's fine. Um, and, uh, and I would say the other thing is that uh, there's definitely uh, sort of a, a slow and steady mentality, which is, is hard to find in the front end world because everything is kind of breakneck pace. Um, but so Evan uh, Chaplicki is the guy who created Elm and he's very much like, okay, if we don't have a good solution to this, if there's a fork in the road where we could sort of like rush something out the door or we could just say, nope, we don't know the answer yet. We're just going to wait. He chooses option B pretty much all the time. Um, and on the one hand, that's sort of made the language as nice to use as it is. But on the other hand, in the moment when you're like, I'm blocked on this, why, why can't we just have something that's 80% good enough? Then it's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you just, you know, call out to JavaScript and it's fine. But, uh, but basically, uh, th those would be the two things that kind of come to mind are like, it's point A being sort of like it's much smaller and point B being it's not done yet. And in the cases where it's not done, uh, it's not going to be done in a, in a rush. So either it's like you do it, like, uh, you know, fix it or you can build your own package or something to solve that problem as well. Oh, yeah, sure. So there's, there's, you know, inevitably you end up doing workarounds. One of the interesting things is that, uh, so there's there's kind of two big ways to do JavaScript interop. One is this concept called ports, which is basically you send messages out to JavaScript, and then JavaScript sends messages back, which is kind of how you can communicate. We call it like JavaScript as a service. Um, so you can kind of communicate back and forth without worrying about the Elm code sort of inheriting some of the characteristics of the JavaScript code, like side effects being run yeah. everywhere, um, which is cool. Uh, but there's another way, which is... Uh, I guess depending on who's listening to this, they might be very happy. Um, custom elements like the the web components actually just just work really nicely with Elm. Um, so that's you, actually really cool. Yeah. So so basically, in the Elm virtual DOM system, you can just say like, "Give me a virtual DOM node. I'm just going to tell you what the name is, and then it's like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll hook you up with one of those in here. So you register a custom element for whatever you know. Uh, we had a um, what was it? We needed a, a text area that grew and shrunk in particular ways, and we couldn't find a way to do it in pure Elm, so we just made a, 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 a custom element that did that, and then we just, like in our Elm code, just like, okay, give me one of these, and it's like, cool, it just works. And uh, that, as far as I know, uh, is <laughs> maybe the most compelling use case I've heard of for custom elements so far, because it seems like if, if you're already using something like React or angular or something else it seems like the pitch is not very strong but for elm the interop pitch is actually pretty nice um so we're we're actually about to start using that in production we just uh, it's like on its way to qa i think right now cool. um and we found we did find a way to successfully polyfill it in ie 11 in case anyone's wondering <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so you are supporting ie 11 yeah we point. do yeah we have a lot of a lot of teachers with older systems wait for those who aren't familiar with interrupt what, what is that exactly oh sure sure so um yeah great question uh so basically um you know elm is its own language uh it compiles to javascript cheers cheers <laughs> it had been another while yeah. so yeah i think we had we had a strong run early mm -hmm. but it is a completely different language so you cannot for example in the middle of your elm function say i want to just call window.alert you can't, you can't do that. You can't just call arbitrary JavaScript code. Um, you have to write Elm code. Um, 
but sometimes you find that you know what Elm covers as as it's you know as a language right now is not as as big as the set of things that JavaScript covers, and sometimes the functionality you need is somewhere in that in between. And so the interop idea is basically just saying, okay, I need some at, at this point in my code, I need to go do some JavaScript stuff. And so the Elm has ways, multiple ways of doing that in a way that uh, sort of allow it to maintain its guarantees and the the nice user experience um, without uh, without sacrificing the ability to, to get stuff done. So like how like let's say you want to call uh, an external JavaScript library and like a particular function in it. Is it sort of like if you have like an iframe and you're doing like cross frame communication, like that kind of thing, or something like that's a sandbox a, almost? Yeah, a that's a that's a great metaphor. Um, the performance is better than, than cross communication, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean conceptually, it's it's kind of like a, a pub subsystem. You're like sending, a, a, you could think of them as events, but um, just like you know, on, on the Elm side, you say, okay, I want to listen for these things coming in from JavaScript, and I can set, broadcast these things out, and then JavaScript can do the same thing. So they just send messages back and forth between the two, um, and using that, they can sort of communicate and say like, hey, do this, and then tell me what happened. It's like, all right, cool, I got this back. All right, I'll pick up where you left off, and so forth. That's really cool. Oh, very cool. Yeah, uh, that actually makes a lot of sense to putting it to the iframe. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Great. I, I haven't heard anyone come up with that before, so <laughs> great metaphor. Would there be any reason, to, like we talked about, you know, not actually needing a framework and typically in the JavaScript world, we're always looking, okay, what framework should we use? Right. Uh, would there be any reason to take, you know, Ember, Angular, React and somehow use Elm and React together? So almost always when people do that, the reason is uh, because they're sort of incrementally adopting Elm, uh, which is exactly what we did. Yeah. And that's actually the most common success story we hear. There's a couple of sort of surprising things that I wouldn't have guessed and, and most people just kind of assume are, are the opposite of the way they turn out to be, one of which is uh, how to adopt it. Like most people think, okay, this sounds cool, so I'm going to wait to my next Greenfield project and I'll use Elm on that. Turns out, almost nobody succeeds at doing it that way. Almost everybody who succeeds does it the other way, which is to say, um, I'm just going to take my existing project. I'm going to go home today and I'm just going to say, um, I'm just going to get a tiny bit of Elm into one page into production and then just see what see how it goes. Yeah. And the reason that that's so much more successful is it's, it's all about risk. So the Greenfield project, you're like, okay, we're going to take this new project. We're going to bet it all on Elm. None of us are Elm experts yet. <laughs> and uh, if the project doesn't go well, well, we're, we, we're overcommitted and we're, you know, everything falls apart. Whereas the incremental approach, you're like, okay, so we're going to take like a week and, and just like get, get this incorporated into our build system, figure out how we're going to deploy it, just do a little bit of interop to you know, Elm as a service, just <laughs> put one thing on one page and get it into production and see if we like it. And if we don't like it, then we can just throw it away and <laughs> go back to what we were doing before. Super low risk. And then once you got it in there, you're like, okay, cool. So like how, how big of a step is it from here to expand it? And you do a little bit more. Also really low risk. And so at every step of the way, you can always back out. Yeah. Um, and so lots of companies have had good success doing that. Um, whereas it, it's, it, it seems like that's not our intuition as programmers. It seems like the greenfield thing is the way to go. So that's usually what you see with like Elm and React coexisting is like you have a React code base. Yeah want to get a little bit of Elm going. And so you end up with a, a hybrid code base as you're, you know, kind of trying it out. Which I do like, because I, I think that's always the hard thing is when you want to migrate to a new code base, it's, it's not easy. It's right. like, how do you do that? And it typically is the like Greenfield project. You're like, well, we'll try it and test it out here and then see right. if we can apply it. But that, and it takes so long to apply it to the yeah. rest of the code that I like that you can actually work on that incrementally, which is very, very cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Actually, the way we got started, it wasn't even Elm rendering anything. It was just we had a big, hairy pile of business logic that was all on the front end, and it was really hard to refactor and work with, and Elm's pretty awesome for refactoring. So we're like, okay, we'll just take this thing that we've been having trouble maintaining, rewrite it in Elm, and then it'll be easier to maintain from now on. And even if the rest of the project never goes anywhere, at least that one thing will be nicer from now on. And then it it worked out well, and we expanded from there and there, and now we're you know, 250,000 lines of Elm code. <laughs> yeah, like you've definitely grown a lot in that area. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you know of other companies that are using this on a regular basis? Like oh, yeah. I'm assuming, I, I've actually seen a few lists of them, but what are some yeah. of the ones that are notable uh, that are leveraging? So uh, I, I don't think like the companies that are using Elm tend to be really big names. I think like, I mean, Carfax is like a big name, but I don't think they're using it a ton. They're, they're not like, uh, the companies that are using it sort of a whole hog like this is our front end we are an elm shop yeah um are are probably names that you haven't heard of um or consulting companies uh but i think uh the, the bigger companies that are doing it like uh, carfax um zendesk has a little bit netlify has a little bit um but th- they're not like you know if, if you go to their main product page it's not elm um they're they're still like in the kind of early stages. They're they're learning to love it, and they're like, they need to fully move this in. <laughs> I think it's it's more um, usually the 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 way that you see Elm get adopted is you have a champion, like somebody's really hype about it, and they're like, I want to I want to get this going, and then they'll kind of get the ball rolling. Um, and depending on the size of the company, uh, you, usually the champion is not somebody at the top of the chain, like the CTO. Um, it's usually somebody who's like just a, a passionate person who's like, you know, been using it on the weekends and doing it in personal projects and stuff. Um, so it's, I think we really haven't seen any, any big companies, you know, thousand employees where they, the, the, the champion has been someone high enough on the, on the totem pole to say, yeah, we're, we're just like, we're doing this the whole way, right? Uh, which actually, um, even at like, uh, so Facebook, you know, of course with React, you know, ended up that way. Um, but like they're they're really uh, invested in ReasonML, which is also a functional programming language that also compiles cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Uh, to JavaScript and um, and they're doing a lot of cool stuff too um, and and they're they're all they're actually doing the same approach because you know it's, it's what works they're 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 doing it on Messenger.com only um, and they've been porting that and they've been writing blog posts about their experiences with that um, and I think uh, you know that that's kind of emblematic of of how unusual it would be for any big company to to. To, to not use JavaScript as their primary, you know, tool for front-end development. It's it's so ingrained. It's um it's got so much like momentum behind it. Uh but it's it's really cool to see kind of the change because I remember like three years ago, I could tell you, I could list all the companies using Elm in production because yeah, there are like five yeah. of them. <laughs> um, yep. and, uh, and every time a new company would say we're using it, we would be like, yeah, there's another uh-huh. one. And then, and then that kind of transitioned into like, oh, who are you? They wrote a blog post and like, well, yeah, I've been using Elm for you know like a year. I'm like, who, who are these people? How do we not know their names? And then now it's like too many, way too many to count. Um, and like last year at uh, ElmConf, I was on stage and I was like, all right, quick show of hands. How many people are using Elm at work? And like most of the hands went up and I was like, whoa, wait, who are all of you? It's <laughs> like, you know, hundreds of people there. Because so. Elm, like, Elm isn't that old. It's Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's um, about five years since like the first line of code was written for it. Um, but it didn't actually, you couldn't actually like render like to the DOM until like three years ago. <laughs> so it, so it, it, it took actually, some time. To, yeah. Like you said, it's a little slow. They take decisions and for sure. take about, think about them before getting them out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, right. It, it's, it's like two years before you have a virtual DOM library. And like before that, you kind of, you could like, it was like all Canvas type stuff. You yeah. could, so most of the demos back then were like games, basically. Um, and, it, and it only became more of a web application type thing um, after uh, after a lot of <laughs> a lot of work had already gone into that version. Very cool. For people like getting started, I'm sure people are excited to now try Elm. Uh, what advice would you give for them to get started? So the the website um, elm-lang.org uh, just has like a guide you can go through. Um, really beginner friendly. Uh, Elm's the community is really like just beginner friendly and a lot of really nice people. Um, I would definitely start there. Um, I'll give a shameless plug. Uh, I've got two resources. Um, oh, then I don't have to use these as my picks. <laughs> uh, you have more roots on top. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so I've got two resources that I, I have. Um, one is a book, Elm in Action from Manning. Uh, it's most of the way done. Um, <laughs> but you can like read what's out there today. First chapter's free. Um, and the other is front end masters. Brian's got his front end masters Ooh, hoodie on repping it. I do. Um, it's a great organization. Uh, and I, I have an Elm course for them. I'm also on, uh, doing, uh, Ryan Florence's, um, workshop.me. So I got to, Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Oh, nice. Good. So if you, Check that out. Um, uh, depending on where you are geographically, I may be, <laughs> may be around in person to and, and hook that up. Masters, like, I mean, Brian has good ones on there. Jem, who's a regular panelist on here, he has uh, some on there. Is that, it's just the two of you, I think, on ours. But yeah. But like lots of our guests have been on there. Yeah. And there's there's always good. Like, that's a, a great place to go. Oh, yeah. 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 Front of Masters. So many good amazing resources. Yeah. yeah. So that's awesome. So now I know. All right. That's where I need to go to learn Elm. There you go. All right. Fair. <laughs> testing i was oh, curious about like oh, yeah. unit testing or whatever like that that's like another one of those what just like many decisions of tree of what framework do you pick what library do you pick and yeah. how, what does that look like with elm so there's elm test and that's what everybody uses okay <laughs> and, and does that help I, I feel like that would actually be very helpful because everyone's on the same testing framework and, and yeah. that helps in that way yeah, for sure. Um, and it, it's also, um, so I actually am the maintainer of Elm test. So <laughs> I'd be happy to talk about that. Nice. Uh, so it's, um, yeah, it, it definitely helps. Uh, I mean, testing is important <laughs> and it's, uh, it's one more thing where just having everybody be on the same page means that the ecosystem you know, rallies around the same thing. Um, so we have, uh, like unit tests for, for normal you know, testing a business logic type stuff. Um, then you've got uh, fuzz testing. So I don't know if you're anyone ever done property based testing, anything like that, um, like mm, no quick no. check or JS so. check. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so the basic idea is, uh, let's say uh, a unit test. You've got, I don't know, some function you're trying to test, and you want to just test it with like one input. So you give it like a hard coded string or two. And you call the function. You assert the output. So a fuzz test, or uh, they're also known as property-based tests or quick check type tests or generative tests. The idea is instead of doing that, you describe, okay, just generate a randomly generated string for me and I'm gonna run this check on it and assert that it's true. And just run that function 100 times with randomly generated inputs and it should stay true the entire time. So the idea is to hunt for edge cases, right? Like empty string or like mm. what if the string's like really small? What if the string's super long? What if it's capital letters? What if it's got emojis in it? And just to try and find, right? Uh, it's just trying to find bugs that that you wouldn't it wouldn't occur to you if you just wrote like the one hard coded test. Um, and so Elm test, uh, I, I I've used these before. Like I used JS check before um, before Elm, and uh, I always I always had some pain points around that, such as it would generate a hundred tests, and then my total number of test counts would go up by like hundreds every time I <laughs> included one of these tests. So it'd be like, oh, how many tests am I running? It's like. 7,000 and I'm like, am I really though? <laughs> uh, 
And then of course, like the failures would just be really big. And um, so uh, we, we've really got kind of a, a really nice system for that where it's, it's baked right in and writing a fuzz test is basically as easy as writing a normal test. You basically, instead of uh, passing a callback that says, I'm gonna execute this test, you can give the callback arguments like string one, string two, whatever. And it says, okay, cool. I'm just gonna randomly generate strings and pass those in and you just use them. Um, so it's barely any more work than writing a, a hard-coded test. Um, and then it just runs them a hundred times. And uh, if it fails, it sort of shrinks them down. So it tries to find like the shortest string that will that will reproduce the failure. That, and that's actually, really nice. Yeah. I'm like blown yeah. away. I'm like, yes, I need more of that. Yeah, and it's, it's just baked right in. Like you don't even have to install a separate library for it. It's just like ships with Elm test. Um, and then we've got uh, like HTML tests. So you can test uh, like the actual structure of your DOM, but it doesn't need to spin up like headless Chrome or anything like that. It's just um, because it's all based on virtual DOM and the, the the way the virtual DOM is designed, you can just say like, oh, I'm going to call my view function, which is like the equivalent of your render function and just get the result. And you can just run queries on it and say like, I, I expect this to be here and I expect that to be there. Or I expect this text node to be somewhere in there and just run checks on it. And it's all just using plain, you know, data structures in memory. Um, and you know, the, the tests run super fast. So yeah, uh, big fan of testing and, uh, we're doing a lot of cool stuff with that in Elm. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. That's actually impressive on itself as a great feature right there. Uh, so I, I could keep cool. going. <laughs> that's awesome. I was kind of curious how like decisions about how the Elm language get made, like, especially like, so JavaScript has TC39. Like, do, oh, yeah. do, does that do does the way JavaScript gets like proposals come out? Does that affect the language for Elm? How do decisions? Oh, great question. Yeah. Um. So we're we're just straight BDFL. <laughs> it's it's very uh like Evan Evan created the language. He he's BDFL. You have to explain. What's oh, BDFL. BDFL. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Sorry. Yeah. I I'm just gonna th drop these acronyms. Um. Yeah. Benevolent dictator for life. <laughs> Ah, uh, I like that. So I, I think, yeah, yeah, I think that that term was first for uh, for Guido von Rossum of Python. I think that was the where the, the origin of the term. Um, but it's basically the the like, okay, the language creator. This is this is his thing, right? Okay. This is like his career. This is his baby, um, and he's he's gonna just like you know make the decisions. Of course, he gets input from tons and tons of you know data points, uh, but at the end of the day, it's not like a vote. Uh, I think you know maybe there comes a point eventually in the future where that happens, um, but uh, you know for the foreseeable future at least, uh, that's that's the way it's done. And, and you know, there's like pros and cons. People debate the the various merits, but so far it's been working out really well. Yeah, obviously it's it's grown, it's it's working. So yeah. continue what's working until you need to change it. As we end the episode, we like to share picks of things we found interesting to share with our listeners. What does everyone have for today's picks? Brian, what do you have? Uh, I just actually have one today. Uh, it's came out on PS4 like two weeks ago. It's called The Secret of Mana. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Secret of Mana. Yes. So this is actually a remake of a really old game, really old Super Nintendo. So it's old to me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like I grew up with it playing with my brother. Um, I've been playing it nonstop since it came out. It's just really great. It's super nostalgic. And I think it's still a really fun game with like good story and everything like that. So I definitely suggest it. The music's so. stuck in my head now. Yep. <laughs> yep. Nice. The graphics obviously got a lot better. I'm sure a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Richard, what do you have for us? Um, I'm going to go with two, maybe three. Okay. So first one is a book I've been reading. It's called, uh, Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, 
but it's basically uh, he's uh, a researcher and he so, sort of starts from the premise of standard economics says, okay, let's assume people are rational and they behave in certain ways. And he says, okay, but actually people are irrational. And so he's studying, okay, what are the ways in which people are predictably irrational? I.e. in these situations, people will predictably act uh, this other way. Okay, cool. We got, I got a, a hard copy of it right there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm like halfway through it. So no spoilers. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just totally spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, so far it's totally fascinating and, and just a lot of really interesting results that I would not have guessed are, are true about people. Second pick, uh, I'm going to give a, a talk that I gave uh, called CSS as Bytecode. So this is about an Elm library, which I did not make, but which is really awesome. And the basic premise of the library is uh, what happens if you said, okay, let's not try to like clean up CSS. Let's try to say CSS is just our compilation target. We're going to come up with a brand new way to do layout styling and just come up with a from scratch, like how do we make a nice layout system that works in the browser and then compile that to CSS? And somebody did it. Um, and it's awesome. It's really, really nice. And like vertically centering things is trivial. Okay. <laughs> I'm sold right there. Like we all know that is the, one of the most painful things in CSS. Yeah. So, so at the talk, I actually like live code, like among other things, <laughs> vertically centering something in this system. Um, so yeah, if you want to see some of the like, uh, like boundary pushing stuff that's going on in Elm, that's a that's a cool talk to watch. Um, I'll give one more pick, which is uh, another podcast uh, called Elm Town, and it's all about uh, Elm. They have guests on talking about stuff they're working on or um, cool projects, stuff like that, and uh, like the history of Elm. Um, and it's uh, really enjoyable if you're into Elm. Very cool. Well, I'm sure all of our listeners are now. So, yeah. <laughs> Stacy, what do you have? Uh, I have two picks. So yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, it's a stop motion um, uh, film that is... Mind blowing, and especially if you watch some of the um, behind the scenes about how Kubo and the Two Strings was filmed and made, um, the amount of detail and the and the um, attention that went into doing that. So anything with stop motion is very difficult. It's a great story, but also like the behind the scenes stuff is really fascinating to take a look at, and that's on Netflix. I think has has that on there right now. Um, so check that out. And then uh, Fever Ray. Um, has a new album, Plunge. Um, she was a member of Knife, uh, The Knife, which is like, oh, wow. uh, knife. yeah, and uh, Fever Ray is great. Um, so it was really exciting to see a new album from her. She's definitely pushing artistic boundaries, and it's a, it's a great album. Very cool. Hmm. Augustus, what do you have? Cool, yeah. Uh, my first pick is uh, Workbox. It's this... Um, it's basically a collection of libraries for progressive web apps from Google. Um, I started looking more into it, and I think they have some workshops coming for Google I.O. 18. So that was like pretty cool, so worth checking out. Um, and then this is kind of like a shameless plug. I don't like doing shameless plugs, but... Uh, We're not I, above it. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to apologize. Yeah, but yeah, basically been working on this project for like a year and finally released for Evernote. So it's evernote.com slash spaces. Um, so it's cool. our new business product, and this is the React version of Evernote. So yay. Awesome. Yay. awesome! Finally, nice. cheers. cheers! So are we fully off of uh, Gwit? Uh, we still maintain the current one, and so unfortunately for personal users who don't use business, mm. they're going to still be on it. But it's like so they should and, ups, they should buy into business. <laughs> they, they, they should, yeah, they can try it. There's free trials, but um, but we're working on getting it to personal. Very cool. That's awesome. That's exciting. Nice. Congrats. Well done. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure that was a big overhaul. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> All right, I have two TV shows because I feel like I need more binging in my life. Um, one is actually an Amazon original, which is called Absentia. It's like this whole like FBI agent that is like gone missing. They assume she's dead and she comes back like I think it's like five years later, six years, I can't remember. And it's like this whole crazy story that she was like kidnapped and it's really interesting. I don't want to say too much other than that. And then I've started a new Netflix original. Uh, I think it came out a week or two ago uh, called Seven Seconds. It's about a murder. So apparently those are kind of well aligned. Um, but uh, yeah, it's so far I'm not done that one yet, uh, but it's been really interesting. So I recommend both of them. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Richard for joining us. Thank you for uh, coming on and telling us all about Elm. I feel like I know so much more. <laughs> yeah, where can people uh, get in touch with you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at RT Feldman, uh, also on the Elm Slack. Uh, so it's elmlang.herokuapp.com to get it <laughs> auto-invite to Slack and RT Feldman on there too. Awesome. Before we end the episode, let's also go around and where can everyone get in touch with the panelists? Brian. I prefer handwritten letters. <laughs> Are you going to give your mailing address? No. Uh, it's it's uh, at HoltBT on Twitter. Stacy. Uh, Stacy Londoner on Twitter. If you want Brian Holt's mail address, just ask me. I'll, I'll give it to you. <laughs> DM us on Twitter. <laughs> I'm uh, moving. Thank you. <laughs> I'll find it. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> but yeah, you can reach me at Twitter uh, at A-U-G-B-U-R-T-O, Ogberto. And I'm at Burgess D. Ryan on Twitter. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to Front End Happy Hour podcast on whatever you listen to your podcast on. And follow us on Twitter at Front End HH. Any last words? Compile. 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 Cheers. 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 <laughs>